Entrepreneurs Will Save the World. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. We focus on the mindset shifts entrepreneurs make to increase their influence and impact in the world. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by the Add Valued Entrepreneurs Podcast. We would love for you to like, share, and leave a review of our show. Subscribe on YouTube. Most importantly, help us spread the word about the great stories being shared on our show. My guest today is Nurse Audrey Friedman. Audrey has been an RN for over 35 years with a wide variety of amazing experiences helping people in clinical situations, in newborn intensive care, oncology, bone marrow transplant, cardiology, and adult intensive care units. Audrey has enjoyed providing care to patients, their families, and the community in a variety of clinical roles, including bedside nursing, case manager, preceptor, education, travel nurse, office nurse, community speaker, online educator, legal nurse, consultant, and writer. Audrey Friedman and Robert share about how nursing leadership and training is very similar to the entrepreneurial journey. There must be a commitment to lifelong learning. They must create spaces for safe conversations that challenge and promote growth. She inspires others to focus on self-care and has a simple 3P plan for facing her day. Audrey, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm just so excited to meet you and to, to have this conversation. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here this morning. <clears throat> so I, I understand that you've, uh, well, you're an author and you're uh, a nurse and, and now you've kind of taken both of those things and you're doing some online courses. Could you share just a little bit about your journey into that entrepreneurial side of things? And I don't know, if, is that a side hustle or is that a full shift? Well, right now it's kind of a side hustle, but Perfect. I'm lurking to grow it into a, a full-time uh, gig because um, it's really kind of exciting where that can go, especially now that we have such tools to open the world to us instead of um, just kind of being our, in our own little world. So, so my story starts a long time ago. Um, I've been a nurse for about 34 years. Um, I remember white caps and white uniforms and, you know, we graduated in white dresses and white caps. And I remember transitions to scrubs and when scrubs left the operating room and started being worn on the, on the floor. So I remember a lot of, you know, old time stuff, but I grew up in a generation where um, we loved, you know, the white caps. I remember reading old golden books about Florence Nightingale and Clara Barton. And my mom had got me an old nurse's play kit, you know, with the cap. And I would just walk around the house with that cap on feeling like, like I had a superpower. And, um, and so I actually went to college on a music scholarship, but uh, transitioned over to nursing, still did music because it, it gave me scholarships for school, but um, switched over to nursing because I just really felt like Nursing is really where I wanted to be. And over the 34 years, um, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of different experiences. I started in 
at newborn ICU and I went to research and oncology, um, bone marrow transplant, ICU, cardiology, uh, and legal nurse consulting. I've had opportunities to travel. I've done travel nursing and went to Baltimore and worked at Johns Hopkins and Miami Children's. And you really see not only just different parts of the world, um, but you also meet nurses from around the whole country. And so it was really interesting to see variances, not only in how things were done from east to west, north and south, but also you got to meet nurses that traveled all over and had such knowledge and brought such knowledge about what things were, what was being done for medicine all over the country and the world. I met nurses that traveled abroad to the UK, to India, um, and it, that just makes such a fascinating conversation to really see not only medicine, but nursing, you know, and meet nurses that were having such adventures. And, you know, nice. because you could basically work and vacation at the same time. Nice. You know? So obviously a lot of experience nursing, obviously you've really enjoyed that. So, so let's talk about this, this side hustle that you're developing. Mm -hmm. So in 2007, I met a nurse who I was working in the ICU at the time, who was taking classes to be a legal nurse consultant. And for years, I had been a preceptor, I had taught orientation, I had trained preceptors. Um, I did a lot of uh, education based on uh, helping nurses kind of learn how to teach beyond just follow me around and I'll show you how to do an IV and here's the med room and there you go. Good luck. Um, but I was wanting to teach more than that. Like, how do you teach how to take report? How do you teach how to plan your day? How do you teach to anticipate emergencies or assessment skills? And so I was developing learning games that I would use in my precepting that uh, that I was then teaching to other nurses. All right, you when gotta I, you gotta educate us, us us entrepreneurs from outside that hospital wall. What what is a preceptor? So a preceptor is a nurse that trains other nurses at the bedside. So for instance, someone would come in and whether it's a new grad or an experienced nurse, they get assigned a mentor or a preceptor, um, kind of the same word, and we take them from the beginning. You know, even where do you find the cafeteria and how do you get back out to the parking lot? But, uh, but where is the pharmacy? How do you get supplies? How do you do assessments? How do you chart in the computer? So we teach them everything, um, everything that they would need to know, but also support you know, the physiology part of it. What are the medications? How do you do these assessments? Um, you know, how do you talk to people about certain issues that may happen on your floor, whether it's labor and delivery or oncology, cancer units, so we help them have those conversations. So we take them all from just learning how to get out to the parking lot and what the unit is and how many beds, all the way to being completely independent um, for taking care of their patients, knowing that you know, you're still part of the team. So we're still part of the team that helps you succeed on that unit. Nice, so, so there's a, a mentor apprentice type relationship exactly all right exactly. exactly thanks for catching me up now you were mentioning learning games and and how yeah. you were using those those tools so what i started to do was uh in in oncology and bone marrow unit I, as i wanted to learn how to do that better i was seeing nurses still being still struggling after orientation and 
And nursing orientation can be anywhere from four weeks to 12 weeks, depending on what experience you already come with. So a new grad nurse may get 12 to, to 16 weeks. An experienced nurse, someone who's done that kind of uh, work before, someone who's been in oncology, you know, been in med surge, they may get four to eight weeks of orientation. Depends on if you've done that before, if you've done that kind of work before. And so I started to look at what did I really need? And so I kind of developed my own way of a needs assessment, which means I was looking at the unit and breaking down what we saw in the unit into a plan. So I would look at basically three different things. So I would look at knowledge needs, uh, like physiology, what kind of patients did we see? What kind of diseases did we see on that unit? And that those were the things I needed to teach to give them a background of what kind of patients they would see. Then we look at skills and tasks. So what kind of skills did you need? Did we do IV? What kind of medications? Did we do any treatments? Did you do chemotherapy? So what was a list? And you just make a huge big list and then you kind of organize it, right? But then there was also social skills. So we don't often think about teaching nurses social skills because you think we talk to people all the time, right? And it's sometimes hard to get us to stop talking because we'll just talk about anything. But there are specific skills that nurses need for different patient populations, you know, mom and babies versus cancer patients who maybe just got diagnosed or maybe looking at an impending death or talking to their families about certain things, someone who's going to be, you know, newly diagnosed diabetic or chronic, you know, heart patient or something. So those are special populations that we need to be comfortable in talking with because that's who we're taking care of, right? Absolutely. There's not a there's not a lot of social skill teaching in 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 college or in school for at any level. Right. We don't learn about relationships. We don't learn communication skills. Um, So certainly it in almost every field, you you either learn it on your own and figure it out. Right. And have this emotional emotional IQ or or somebody has to show you and and teach you. So fantastic that you're including that in 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 the things that you were sharing? Well, there are things I think that nurses deal with um, more times in a year than someone does in a lifetime. (laughs) So for instance, you know, someone may either themselves or a family member have someone that's dying or had died, you know, from medical things. Um, And that may be the one or two or three times that happens in that person's lifetime. But nursing, if you're dealing in oncology, uh, whether it's pediatric or adult, you know, you're going to deal with deaths more time in a year than people are going to do in a lifetime. And so more time in a week sometimes. Exactly. Especially the last two years. Mm. And we need to help nurses deal with that. We mm. need to help nurses know how to be, not that you have to teach them how to be compassionate, but we have to know how to help nurses um, teach their patients that they're, they're a safe place to have those conversations. People want to talk about it. People want to talk about what is it like to die? What happens? What will my loved one go through? And so we really need to encourage nurses, you know, to be that safe place to have that conversation. Mm. Um, and that can be hard, especially if it's, if you've never had that before. I remember my very, very first time dealing with a patient who died, who it was kind of anticipated. He had end stage COPD. We knew that was going to happen. We were just keeping him as comfortable as possible, but I'd never had that experience before. And it totally freaked me out. But no one was like, let's talk about it. Let me help you through this. Um, 
you know, have you ever had somebody in your family that died? Let me, you know, walk you through this. And so that was something that I really wanted to uh, uh, encourage um, and talk about in nursing, because especially if you go into a field like oncology or bone marrow or ICU or even labor and delivery, you're going to see that more. And and I didn't, I was seeing nurses that said, I didn't want to take care of that patient anymore because I know he's going to die. And oh. so my first alert was like, you've never had that experience before, or you had someone close to you that died and it's too painful for you right now. And so as a preceptor mentor, I kind of looked at those kind of things as opportunities, because if you're going to be on our floor, part of my responsibility was to mentor you through that and help you do that in a way that you weren't going to be, I don't want to take care of that patient anymore, but at least I know how to create safe spaces for them and for us and help create a healing journey versus, because it's never going to be easy. We're never going to make it, it's not the fun thing, right? We're never going to make it happy. We're never going to make it joyful, but we can make it a healing journey for that nurse and that patient. Well, certainly it's it, the challenge is obviously you can't undo it, right? You can't, right. you can't change it. It's, this is a situation that's just going to happen. Right. And, and so finding the, I love that you call it creating a safe space, right? Creating a safe space for the conversation, a safe space to ask questions, a safe space to be vulnerable, to be authentic. And, and even though you may not have all the answers, you, you still can listen and you still can, you know, can, can comfort. And, and so that, that can be challenging. And, and for nurses that have to do that every day, I, I assume the option is become cold and closed off or, or become, you know, open and vulnerable and, and, and be able to, to process that and not hold on to it. Right. And, Right. And we have to care for our nurses as well, because it is hard. Mm. It is really hard to deal with that every day. And then if you have a patient assignment on the floor, even in the ICU, where it may be one to two or one to three. So one nurse to two patients or one nurse to three patients. But on the floor, you may have like a medical surgical floor where we normally or, you know, most of the patients go visit on the floor. You may have one nurse to four patients, five patients or six patients. So how do you how do we help nurses? deal with someone who's dying in one room and then walk out of that room, turn their face on and then have a smile when they go into the other room. It's really, you don't want to go from really sad to inappropriately happy or joy, but you sometimes have to be able to transition that and then also maintain your ability to do that work, but also take care of your own heart and soul during that. You know, it's very hard when we go. And I think that's where nurses they get burned out, they get tired, they want to leave the bedside. Um, and so we have to help support nurses in that too. It's not just giving all your compassion away. We have to give it to ourselves and we have to support our team as well. So those are some of the things that I really wanted to include in nurse training and teaching preceptors, not only for themselves, but to teach um, new nurses or nurses that we were bringing in, but also be a role model for that. You know, if I saw another nurse that was you know, having trouble in something, let me go help. I'll, I'm happy to help you. Let's talk about it, you know, and take care of each other because nursing is hard and you give a lot of yourselves away. But I think part of the problem is that we don't teach ourselves how to do those steps by breaking it down into steps. 
So by mm -hmm. teaching. Oh, I was just going to say, you mentioned a couple really, really powerful things that, that apply to all of us, not just, not just nurses. And one of the things being a mindset coach and a, and a thinking coach, we talk about state management mm -hmm. and, and you talked about state management as, you know, going from the room where a person's dying and there's, there's sadness and concern, you know, and changing your state as you enter the next room, because you don't want to carry the, the emotional weight of, of one room into, into a room where they don't need to feel, feel all of that. Um, and most of us don't have to change states from one room to a next, to a next, to a next. And so that was the place where you mentioned self-care and nurses need to have the permission to, to take care of themselves and, and manage, you know, fill their own cup so that what they're pouring out isn't, you know, pouring out from an empty cup. Um, so I just want to, just just label those things so that entrepreneurs that are listening that that aren't necessarily experiencing nursing understand that these are these are some of the same tools that we use in mindset and in thinking and in in managing our days right although most of us don't deal with that level of of extremity um i i think state management's a very important skill for all people to have um but obviously you know for nurses that's that, that's pretty heavy it, it, and understanding that burden is pretty important, which leads to self-care and some of the tools for self-care. So how do you help nurses fill their own cup? Well, part of it is taking care of helping, taking care of each other and being a role model. And so, um, you know, especially in the last two years, I think that state management, as you're saying, has been extraordinary, you know, that the need for that has been extraordinary because when we talk about nurses dealing with death and dying more times in a year, sometimes now they've been dealing with it more times in a day, you know, and yet other entrepreneurs are still dealing with that. Whatever stress is their stress point, you know, on their business or their life or their family or, you know, so everyone's gone through that and yet we still kind of have to maintain and go on. So for me as a mentor or preceptor, what I like to do is break those things down into steps. So when someone says to me, I don't want to do that. My first question is, how has that touched you in the past? Because if that's something that we see on this unit, then I feel like it's my responsibility, yet also opportunity to address that for you. Otherwise, you're, you're really going to come to a point on this unit, whatever unit it is, that you're not gonna like that care anymore. And you're gonna to look to leave the bedside. So if I look at those things, kind of like as a wise preceptor mama's eyes to say, I kind of been there, done that. But if I notice those things, just like parents do in kids, I don't wanna do that, or I don't wanna to go to school, or I don't wanna to go to school today. Like your parents start saying, do you have a test today? Or someone bothering you? So we start learning those things. Same thing in nursing preceptor parents is, being aware of those and being able to break it down into steps. So first thing is being awareness that they might be having trouble on something, then breaking it down in steps and then giving them, finding them opportunities to practice that. Um, so it could be, so for an example, one of the social skills that I break down and teach is how to talk to physicians. So when nurses, you know, we call physicians all the time for questions, patients not doing this or patients having a problem or, seeing this new symptom or whatever it is. And so nurses will think about going right away to saying, oh, I have to call this doctor. And I will stop them and say, 
what are you going to say? Mm-hmm. Well, and they just give this whole blur because, you know, it can be scary. Is this patient okay? Is, you know, they could be throwing up, which even to a nurse can be, how do I stop that? How do I fix that? How do I make that patient feel better? Um, and certainly in certain areas, it could be emergent, it could be life-threatening that you want to call them right away. And so what I tell them is, let's get prepared. We have 10 seconds to get prepared, but we have only probably about three and a half seconds to make our case when we call that physician, because they're getting called a thousand times an hour. And so we have to have to know what we're calling about, make our case, and kind of have a plan that we expect to see. So I break that down into steps that they can replicate every single time they call a physician, things like know what your problem is, patients having trouble breathing or patients vomiting three times, you know, six times in the last hour, Um, then give supporting data. They threw up six times in the last hour. It was this many CCs that sometimes nurses, we have gross talk, not not table talk. It could say, you know, look like this or poo look like this or something, you know, you, you get used to those conversations. And then say their labs are this, or this is what medication I just gave them. So you bring data to the table to support that. So the physician can kind of on the phone, see what you're seeing, you know, with that patient. And then, you know, give suggestions. Do you think, what do you think about this? Or what do you want to do and kind of have some idea so that within 10 seconds, you've presented your problem, made your case, already talking about solutions. And then, you know, that physician is going to think you're the best nurse on that floor because you came prepared. Um, so it's really just breaking those things down into skills and things that we may take for granted, like social skills or talking to physicians or presenting prob- you know, presenting problems like that. So it was really the idea of breaking down problems. And it also helps preceptors and uh, mentors troubleshoot. So if a, if a nurse isn't doing well, then we can do a quick needs assessment in one of those three categories and figure out where they're not doing well and readdress you know, uh, um, some more opportunities to that part and see if we can address that. Because it is hard and sometimes learning doesn't always come easy the first time, right? (laughs) It can be, it's the first time they saw it, they're a little scared, they've never done it before, um, you know, or they're not familiar with something or we just kind of threw them in there. So we need to look at those opportunities, how to break it down differently and better. Well, I like, I like how you start with curiosity, right? Like, especially when someone says, I don't want to do this, you know, well, where has that touched you in the past, right? Mm-hmm. What, what about this situation is, is bothersome? Um, and, and being able to approach it from, from curiosity rather than saying, well, you have to, right? <laughs> you know, and, and, and that allows them to process, right? For, for many people, they haven't processed emotional experiences properly. They haven't, mm-hmm you know, carried it, they're, they're holding on to something that's creating this block, creating this fear and, and allowing them to explore it through answering questions can remove the block and allow them to go, oh, wait, that really wasn't that bad, right? In, in a lot of cases, a lot of people have, their experiences with death are so minimal or, or just, they're overwhelmed by them because it creates a block and they, they've never processed it to realize that, Oh wait, this is just, it just is right. It's terrible. It's sad. It's, it's all of those things that never goes away. But the reality is every human being on this planet, if they have a relationship with other human beings on this planet is going to experience death. 
Correct. Um, but some, many people, like you've said, are, are sheltered from that <laughs> until they get into a, a field where it becomes, whew, this is a lot more regular than, than I expected. <laughs> and, and, and if they don't know how to, to process those emotional feelings and, and things very well, they'll, that'll be a challenge. And, and the same can, can be said for a lot of emotional experiences, you know, in entrepreneurship, the blocks and, and limiting beliefs that hold you back until you explore those with curiosity, until you explore, you know, well, what is it that's happened in your past that's holding you back from believing, you know, your value as a teacher, from believing your value as, you know, as a, as a <clears throat> contributor, um, people won't address those things like the fear of public speaking, right? So I love that you break down even the conversation with the doctors because yeah, doctors can be scary, right? They're doctors are in and out, they're busy, they're 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 very focused typically on their job and, and what they're doing, and they're de dealing with a, such a quantity of patients that to break it down and give them opportunities to have awareness of the situation what you know what are the questions that i need to answer for the doctor so mm -hmm. being prepared myself right asking myself those questions before i go to the doctor <laughs> but you right. mentioned you mentioned the really most important piece in there is giving them opportunities to practice mm -hmm. and and i think so often we just get thrown into the fire without a chance to practice um for entrepreneurs it's typically it's the sales calls, right? The sales calls is that conversation with the doctor that if I haven't answered those questions and get thrown into the fire, you know, that that's typically why people hate sales calls because they don't know the answers. They haven't practiced the questions right. and they haven't practiced the the conversation. And, and there's a lot of fear around all of that. And so I love that you break it down into steps and you help create a process. Um, there's, there's so much, so much power in that. So let's talk a little bit about about your book. What uh, what's the focus and and how how is it helping do do these pieces that you've? Well, there was a book that I put out a number of years ago, um, first in two thousand and nine, and then two thousand fourteen, called uh, "Nursing Wit and Wisdom: uh, <laughs> Truth, Humor from the Stethoscope to the Bedside." Um, Truth, humor, and wisdom from the stethoscope to the bedside. And it started when I was working in the ICU and I started to be aware that just like anybody else in a, you know, in a job, you start saving the wisdoms that you really like to say and you say them again and again to different patients as they come in, you know, so it could be how you introduce yourself. It could say what your plan is for the day. But I noticed that we were saying the same things, not only to each other for wisdoms or preceptors, but also to our patients. Not that it, everything's the same, but you kind of have those those sayings that you like, you know, that you say that we use all the time. And so I put out a, I started keeping track of the ones that I really liked. Um, for instance, uh, a lot of times in nursing and in medicine, we'll ask patients what we call as orientation questions. And so it will be a way to uh, assess and analyze um, is if a patient's brain is working, if they're affected by, you know, illness or trauma or medications, do they know their name? Do they know where they are? Do they know the date and time? Do they know where, you know, what the situation is? Do they know that they're in the hospital and they sick? They may not know all the details, but they should 
probably know that it's somewhere in 2000 and not 1947. Right. So, right. So certainly if you have someone that's really sick in the ICU, they may not know that it's Saturday, but they may know that it's March. Right. So that's totally okay for the, for how sick they were. I wouldn't expect them to know Saturday at 9 AM, you know, exactly the date, but they, hopefully they would know at least the, the year or, um, or, you know, why they're there. If they don't recognize me because they don't see me all the time, they should be able to know their name or say someone, if their husband or wife or daughter walks in, they should know their name, right? So in context of the situation, certainly. Um, and so sometimes with patients, I would say, I would go in and I would talk about our plan for the day. This is medications. This is what tests we're going to do. This is my plan for the day. And I would say, but the number one plan um, the rule number one that I always have in my day is, is your job. My job is to make sure you get all these treatments. Your job is to keep the nurse happy. So rule number one is keep the nurse happy. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, two dream.com that's empower number two dream.com if you enjoy the show please like and subscribe leave a review tell your friends welcome back let's get back to more greatness so when a doctor would walk in one time this happened where the doc walked in and he started asking all the questions and doctors sometimes you know they're like i said they're fast they want to get in and out they they'll ask the question fast, but they don't always give the patient time to kind of work through and figure it out. Where nurses, we have a little bit more time to, okay, it's not, you know, 1947, you kind of look around and, you know, uh, what, you know, what year it is. So he was asking the questions and the patient was answering and I, and I interrupted and I said, uh, you don't need to ask him all those questions. Just ask him what rule number one is. And the doctor looked at me like he was confused. He looked at the patient and he said, okay, well, what's rule number one? And he said, rule number one is to always keep Audrey happy. And the patient started laughing and the doctor looked like he totally didn't get the joke. <laughs> and, and we were like, he's fine. We're going to have a great day. You know, so you kind of have to put it all in context. And sometimes if you can, you know, make it fun. And so th that was just kind of a little, you know, humorism that I would kind of use in some situations. And I started keeping track of the ones I really liked because in number one, in scary situations, it gives a little bit of safe brevity that you're not disrespecting their situation, but you're also kind of making it a little more comfortable, right? And so I put a survey out to the nurses in my team, like what are your best Nightingale wisdoms? And after collecting them and going through them, um, I created this manuscript that was just a um, like a little desk flip book. So it'll be one thing on a page, but, um, but it would be things uh, not only to each other um, that we would say to each other when we're training or when we're helping each other, uh, but it would also be things that nurses said to patients. So for instance, something to each other is, you know, say hello and goodbye to your patient at the beginning and the end of the day. Let them know when you're starting and when you're ending so they know who to expect in your room and kind of what to expect. Try and explain to them. Another one would be try and explain to them what the plan for the day is. You can also kind of make it a little fun in that. I would say, you know, this is our plan for the day. Maybe we're going to MRI. Maybe we're having a test. Maybe I'm expecting 
this other physician to come in and see you today. But then I would say, our plan is to see how close we get to the plan. <laughs> because especially in a hospital, they don't know the backwards, right? They are just expecting these things to happen. But you know, we know, and even in ICU, sometimes the ER will trump even the ICU when it comes to a test or a doctor coming. So, you know, and the ICU trumps the floor. And so, but they don't know that. They're just waiting for their care and they're waiting for their doctor. And if you say they're going to be there at nine and they don't show up till tomorrow, <laughs> they're going to be like, what's going on? You told me this is going to happen. So even in ICU, if I think this doctor's coming or, you know, we're going for an MRI and the, and the ER gets a call, the ER gets to trump ICU. But again, they don't know that. So I would say this is what we're planning for today. I don't even really know the time. But the plan is to see how close we get to that plan. And it kind of gives them a little idea. We're going to try our best, but it's a hospital. You know, you know, hundreds of patients will do our best to make that happen for today. But it doesn't always happen. But it gives them the idea. I know what to expect. They know what to expect. Um, but again, a little safe brevity, you know, where we can. Um, and helps them get a little comfortable with the expectation that 9 o'clock may mean 7 o'clock but we'll do our best, right? Nice. And so- well, Obviously you're mentioning wit and wisdom. And so so how important is, is play and fun? I think it's very important, but also to know the right context to use that, you know? So if someone is dying or the family's really stressed, I'm not gonna go in and say, okay, well, the plans, the, we're gonna see how close we get to the plan today. I expect your loved one to pass today. Certainly, you know, you have to read the room and you have to know the appropriateness um, and you have to be able to read your patient and your family. If they're not getting it, are they stressed? Do they have questions? Um, you know, um, but I think it also helps the nurse uh, be able to have conversation. I think some of the, the most stressful thing for new nurses is to how to have that conversation. So when I would see a nurse go into a room and they're only focused on the machine or the IV pole or, you know, uh, the computer or their meds, I can tell immediately they're a brand new nurse because they can't talk and give the med and have conversation and look at everything at the same time. That takes practice. That just takes comfort and it takes doing it a hundred times. And it takes, um, you know, comfort and the ability of knowing what you're doing. And so it's not that they're wrong. It's just, you could tell they're brand new. Just like anyone brand new, you're really focused on your task. Um, and it takes you a while to be able to have, you know, comfortable conversation in any realm. I think for any entrepreneur, especially like you said, sales calls. I think, you know, for myself, when I went into legal nurse consulting, one of the things that really surprised me was how difficult it was for me to transition from talking to a patient or a doctor. And I can jabber. I'm a good, I can, I have no trouble talking. But when I was calling an attorney to try and explain my services or ask, you know, is there anything you need that I can help you with? Do you have any questions? Suddenly I, you know, would go into a cold sweat. I'd get very nervous. I couldn't, I didn't have the words. I was very intimidated. And I'd get off the phone thinking, like, what is wrong with you? Like you talk 12 hours a day, nonstop in any situation. And yet in this new situation, I was, you know, having trouble transitioning that. So happens to all of us. 
but, but, um, but in that book, so what I did was I took all these wisdoms from all these nurses and their stories, and we made this little flip book. And the nice part about it was, you know, it would say things like, you know, for nurses to patients, don't, you know, when you're going into shift change, which is when our, our shift ends and we're giving a report, um, if your patient's asking for pain medicine, make sure, try and give that before you go into shift report. Otherwise, that's another hour or two hours that they're waiting for pain medicine, if you can, if it's timely. Um, so it was certain nice tips like that. But then there would be fun tips like the plan is to see how close we get to the plan or I'll be your hostess today. You know, this is kind of what we're going to do today and rule number one. Um, and then, you know, so it would be a kind of variety of like that. So it was really nice for new nurses. And one of my directors in the ICU um, bought my book to give to all of the nurses in our unit for Nurses Week. Um, and it was really nice to feel supported, not only for what I had done, but your nurses that had contributed to that, you know? And and so when I introduce a new nurse around our unit, one of the things I would say, you know, Nurse Mary, this is Nurse Joe. And I would ask Nurse Joe, what kind of wisdom do you have to share with this new nurse, even if it's just one thing? So. You know, nurses is not just for each other, not just for the patient, but also for each other as well. So it was a fun little way to share those things that I heard all the time, that I was saying all the time, that I felt that were really helpful to new nurses, um, but also helpful to help nurses learn how to have um, better conversations as well. So so what has been the impact of being an author and, and writing the book? You mentioned the support of you know somebody sharing it with all the nurses for Nurses Week, but what other impacts has that had in in your life and business? Well, in my life and business, um, it actually allowed me to start really thinking out of the box how to use something like that. So one of the things when I when I met this nurse who was doing legal nurse consulting in two thousand seven, and I thought I really liked that role for two reasons. One. It kind of appealed to my academic geek, the idea of, uh, you know, doing research, being able to teach, um, being able to explain what happens at the bedside to somebody who's not normally at the bedside and put that story together for them. Because you can look at thousands of pages of records, but as a nurse, you can then put that story together and explain um, what, you know, what they're seeing, how it really works at the bedside versus maybe what you're seeing. So, I think nurses have an extraordinary ability, even more than they think, about doing that. You know, not just to the patient, but being able to look at all those. I mean, I've looked at records that are not just hundreds of pages of records, but 30,000 pages of records. And then how do you tell that story? Um, but I also, it, it kind of inspired me to think about using that entrepreneurial uh, opportunity to take what I'd done in that book and create something completely new and creative um, into this preceptor project, which is being able to teach, not just for nurses, but also, uh, so mostly, well, let's back up. So the preceptor project really for nurses about how to break down those skills and use those things, not only in the book. Um, so I would start writing, I opened a website and I start writing blogs and where I could break those things down into pieces, I would write a teaching sheet or an action sheet that they could download and use for free um, and just start using those tips right away, you know, just by reading the blog or I eventually opened a Facebook page of the same name 
So the website is nursingwitandwisdom.com. The Facebook page is Nursing Wit and Wisdom. But that would give, you know, the tips and shorter pieces, maybe a little video from me, you know, helping support each other. And the goal was um, helping nurses, not only preceptors, but break those things down, have the tools that I was using myself that I found successful, but also tinier little snippets like you have to do on Facebook about, you know, do you guys have any questions? How can we support? Even during the pandemic, I would say, you know, if someone needs someone to talk to, just private message me and let's connect. You know, I'm nurses are here for nurses. Let's help support you through that. Um, no charge. It was just nurses just support each other. Um, so it was a way to, to to reach out. And because we have a following worldwide, it was really amazing to, to meet nurses in the UK or meet nurses in Africa or um, and seeing how are you guys handling this and how can we support each other. So that book and the entrepreneurial opportunity in the legal nurse consulting um, kind of opened the idea of how do I broaden that out into from one piece of thing and use that one piece and make it many, many, many more things. So that one little book kind of led to the website that led to the blog and the downloads that led to Facebook that led to just kind of little online Facebook live teachings that led now to the online courses that um, that is focused for preceptors about how to break those things down. And then everything from the needs assessment, you know, how to break it into those three knowledge uh, skills and social skills, all the way to what are learning games and how do you give feedback and how do you design that whole piece, you know, for design for your unit. Because an oncology unit is going to be different than a labor and delivery unit. So how do you assess those things for that situation? Nice. Yeah. All right. So what inspires you? What inspires me? I think it's really the, the ability um, and the opportunity that nurses have to make a difference and inspire mm. not only their patients with their knowledge and their compassion, but really each other. I think that we forget that we have opportunities to inspire each other and take care of each other. And not only in teaching, but in support and role modeling and, um, and inspiration. How do we, you know, how do you inspire each other, stay inspired so that a bedside nurse, you know, nurses don't leave the bedside because it's hard. They don't leave the bedside because you have to work 12 hour shifts or that you're working nights or somebody threw up on you or you're cleaning up poo. We don't leave because of that. We leave because we lose that spark. You lose that spark either from the workplace or because we're not supported or because of bullying. Um, you lose that spark for things that are constitutional, not because of the work. Nurses get that work is hard. Nurses get that you're going to deal with body fluids and you're going to have conversation at your dinner table that are going to gross everybody else out, right? <laughs> you're going to get that conversation where you, the nurse friend comes to dinner and everyone else is like gagging, turning green at the table. We, we get that. But I think what really inspires me is using my experience and my love of teaching and precepting and mentoring to get nurses to understand how, what opportunities they have, not only to inspire their patients and care for them, but for each other as well. So that something that you loved and you worked so hard to get to still inspires you now, still inspires me now, 34 years later, to, you know, to stay with it, no matter what it is, whether you go from the bedside to the clinic, to teaching, to 
you know, whatever it is that in some way that you're still inspired to do that work. Mm, nice. So you mentioned breaking things down and then creating checklists and, and, you know, creating this, the smallest step. Um, do you use a daily routine for yourself? How, how are routines important? I know for, I, some of my routines, I know if I were working a 12 hour shift, my routines would be messed up. <laughs> like that would be a challenge to, to have the routines that I do in the morning and evening and then cram 12 hour work shift in between the two. Well, if you looked at my desk right now, you'd probably say, no, I don't have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> There's stickies all over the place and papers all over the place. Those, those can all be part it. of the plan. Right. right. They're kind of the initial part of the plan. Um, but one of the things I really uh, had developed in teaching nurses was how to learn how to start their day, not only taking what they get and report, but do it what I call in the three P's. So we start their day by the three P's. And I used to teach this in ICU. So the three P's just kind of break your organization into three really simple things. One is the plan. So when you get report in the morning and that nurse shares you about that patient and you look at the computer and you see all the meds and the treatments, the plan is, what is the plan for this patient? What's the thousand things of things that you know is going to be on your list today for that patient? And just write down what you need. The second thing is the priority. So even though you have what you think is a thousand things to do that day for that patient, what are really the top three to five things that must get done in that 12 hour period or must get done in the morning or must get done before a test or a surgery? So take that thousand things and just pick the top three to five. The other stuff will get done. Maybe a medication is more important than a bed, right? Changing the bed. Um, so maybe I need to um, get some pain medicine or get some oxygen more than I need to change the sheets or get a person into the bath. So. So it's really about being able to identify. So number one, that those two things just teach them how to prioritize things. And then the third thing is what I call panic button. Mm -hmm. And so, so when we learn all that and we go through the plan and the priority and we hear the story, then my next question is, what is the worst thing that could happen today? If you have a patient that just came in, whether it's cancer or infection or pneumonia or whatever it is, of your, of your patient assignment today, what's the worst thing that can happen? That does a few things. Number one, it helps that nurse start to anticipate thinking ahead because when you're new or when you're new to that area, even if you have 20 years of experience, if you've gone from labor and delivery to ICU, you're still the beginner. That's brand new, right? I mean, you bring all this wisdom and all this fantastic experience, but for a little bit, you're the learner again, right? So people get really kind of focused and task oriented and they, they get nervous to kind of think out of the box where they normally are the expert, but you're kind of the beginner again. So teaching them to anticipate does a few things. Number one, it teaches, okay, what else could we be looking for? But also do we need to address something sooner? Maybe I'm seeing this in a patient. Let me hop on this because I anticipate this may happen. But it also helps them, what are my resources? Who do I need to tell? Maybe my charge nurse or my teammate, hey, I think this is gonna happen. Can you keep an eye out? If you see me in that room or you see things flying in that room or you see flames coming out of that room, could you just come and help me? Because I may not be able to come out and get you. So it helps them identify resources for them, but it also helps them network, let their charge nurse know, hey, I have this patient, this is what's going on. I anticipate we may have trouble today. Could you just keep an eye out? Or if I call for help, know that this is what I think is gonna happen. 
And so it helps, you know, kind of break them out of that uh, learner only task, you know, where they're, I can't talk and chew gum and talk to the patient and give meds and look at the monitor at the same time. But it starts to break that ceiling a tiny little bit when I'm asking them to anticipate. So when they get their, you know, two to six patient assignment, if I just break it down into those three tiny pieces that now don't seem so tiny, but it does help them start playing for the day. And then, of course, the plan is to see how close we get to the plan. <laughs> but it starts breaking out their thinking into new into new ideas. And so that kind of training, the three Ps, um, to me, can work in any situation, whether you're in the hospital, in the ICU, in the clinic, triage on the phone. When I used to triage in the cardiology patient, I would do that with my patients. I would say, okay, we're going to have plan A, plan B, plan C. So if you're calling me with chest pain and you're thinking, okay, and you're not having any of those symptoms, this is my plan A. If that's not working, this is my plan B. If that's not working, that's plan C. And if that's not working, while I'm on the phone with you, I'm calling 911, okay? <laughs> so, so it does two things. It helps me think ahead what I might be doing for that patient, but it also teaches that patient what I'm thinking too so that they can know what the next step is as well. So I, I think love that. that Routine. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. No worries. I love that routine. Just and I think that would work for for an entrepreneur or business mm -hmm. owner. You know, thinking about you know, just starting your day with with these three three P's. Right. What's your plan? What are your priorities? What do you need to get done? And then what what what's going to be the panic button? Right. What are right. what anticipating? What's the worst that could happen? And being prepared for that. Not that I want to focus. Mm -hmm focus on the negative, but I like the preparation, right? We keep a spare right. tire in our car because the possibility of having a flat tire is, is more significant than any other, you know, thing on our car going wrong. Right. Um, and so those are, those are really great <clears throat> routine elements. And, and obviously anything that you can set as a routine in a 12 hour shift it helps, right. It helps make the, the day right. go by, right. Cause that can be, you know, a significant, shift. Uh, I also think that nurses think, you know, all these experienced nurses or doctors are just smart because they've done it a thousand times and you're, you know, you've been doing it longer. So you're just an expert and you're so much smarter than me. And that's not necessarily the case. It's that they've learned these steps either by role model or by mentoring or on their own, just by having those experience, they've learned how to break it down, think ahead, anticipate. And so as the mentor or the role model, you know, what I can do is teach them these steps that can be replicatable. You know, these can be reproducible steps. So as the wise old preceptor mama, my part of my job is to be able to break those down. Um, and even if I'm not precepting that nurse, if they ask me a question, I've got a tool right away I can give them to help them learn that. So while we think someone who's been in that job 20 years is amazing, oh my God, I'll never going to be like you. You'd be like, yeah, yeah, I have this little secret tool. Let me show you this little secret tool that can have you do it as good as I'm doing it just takes practice. I like that. So let's talk a little bit about that. Well, I guess the value of gratitude, how has gratitude helped you in your own emotional state, maintaining your state management? I think one of the things that gratitude really does for me as a nurse um, and as a person is all the things that I take away from my experience. Um, not only, I, I mean, I've had, I've had the good fortune 
and the grace to be involved in uh, people and places in inner circles where we're just not, it's just not normal for people, you know? So being able to travel or work in amazing facilities like Johns Hopkins, um, but also have opportunities with people. You know, when, when I've worked with families where children were dying or mm -hmm. elders were dying or, um, you know, taking care of a child whose family pulled me into the room to be with them at the last moment really creates um, opportunities that you just feel grateful in a way because as much as you are helping them, they have touched you with a, with a grace and an inspiration and a moment that changes me forever, mm. you know? Um, and, and if we let those moments in, then we really have so much for to be grateful for about um, being not witnesses, but participants in a kind of humankind's inner circle that we would never have the opportunity to be in or to see it in that way. Um, and I really believe that once we get past our nursing task thing, if we looked at that inspiration or that spirituality or that moment of grace of what we're actually doing here at the moment, it just changes you. And, um, and I think I am so grateful for all the people that they think maybe I've touched them, but they have touched me mm. and they have inspired me and kept me, you know, um, open and happy and content as a bedside nurse because of those uh, experiences and those opportunities. And I still, you know, talk about those experiences now where some of them were 20 years ago and I still feel inspired by them. So, so I think that's, I think I'm so grateful for nursing and the opportunities that it has given me um, that I would never have had in those ways That's so um, good. to touch people. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, what do you love to do in your free time? We'll change it up a little. Yeah. In my free time, I love gardening. Uh, I, I have an herbal garden and a vegetable garden that I, like to do. I also have a cat and a dog that we like to go on hikes and uh, go for walks around the neighborhood. And my cat actually walks with us. Nice. So yeah, he kind of has adopted the neighborhood. <laughs> and so he walks with us and he checks on the neighbors. And uh, he, I've met more people in the neighborhood because of my cat than because they're like, hey, Wally, what's going on? I'm like, how do you know Wally? And Wally <laughs> came up and he visited us and he came in the house and he just sat and hung out with us. So <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty so, awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, so walks with my dog and my cat, and, and vegetable garden, and and as a music major, that took me through college since I was, you know, and I've played oboe and piano since I was very little, five and eight years old. My favorite thing in the world is just to go to the symphony, and I use I love I like to watch them, but I would like to go sit way up high, and I went to school as an oboist, so I've studied oboe, and I would just go way up high and just close my eyes and just listen and. And uh, and listen for the oboe, but uh, just love being up there to the symphony anytime I can go. That's my favorite thing in the world. Nice, so fun. Now you need to travel and go to symphonies in all the different cities. Yes. <laughs> all right. What's what's the big dream, Audrey? The big dream is really to be able to take this message and this teaching that I have for nurses about precepting and inspiration and tools to nurses all over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, the online courses, I think, you know, in this time of technology, 
I used to teach those things just in person or one by one, or teach a you know a, a class for patients called how to be a prepared patient, where we would talk about how to why to know your medications or here's wallet cards where you can write your information down, um, you know tips to tell nine one one EMS when they come to your house to take those messages of teaching and tools to patients and nurses especially. Uh, worldwide, because I think these platforms now just give an opportunity not just to touch the nurses that are in front of me or in my facility or in my state, but to nurses worldwide. And the blog and the Facebook and the online courses have really opened up that world for me in an amazing way to, t to meet nurses around the country and other countries. I mean, when nurses sign on and they're from Africa or UK or France or China, that to me is amazing that we can network and talk about the same things talk about nursing and taking care of patients and how do we teach each other and you know what it's like to be a nurse um and support each other you know supporting a nurse through a pandemic when i'm here in colorado and someone calls me from another state and we just talk about what it's like to handle those situations and support each other and you're amazing and you are so appreciated and you are so loved even if you don't think about that right now and you don't hear that and you don't you know, see that right now, that you are. You are loved and appreciated more than you know. And to be able to share that with nurses around the country or around the world, that is my dream. Nice. Well, I appreciate that you recognized your role as a leader and as a mentor and, and that through the pandemic, you opened yourself up to contributing to, to nurses around the globe and offering mm -hmm your support and your love, you know, even if it's just a, a, a conversation on Facebook Messenger or, mm -hmm. or a phone conversation and, and you're you're giving back to the community that you love and serve, um, that just is testimony to your heart and testimony to your to your passion. And I think it's testimony to your mission to to change to change the lives and, and just better equip nurses around the globe. So mm -hmm. thank you from from my heart for your nursing and, and from just, I, I believe you, you're creating an impact in the world and that's that's pretty exciting. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. And so congratulations on, on that. And, and hopefully the growth will happen faster and more efficiently and you'll be listening to symphonies all over the world and teaching nurses during the day. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. It was a real pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you for joining me. I appreciate you taking the time. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode, Polly and Robert talk about her journey literally around the world and how that journey inspired her to start her company to help others tell their stories without being pickpocketed or robbed by companies making promises they can't fulfill. Authors have rights and they need to protect them. And she's creating standards and a team of coaches to help elevate the world of self-publishing.